You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. <laughs> It's Tuesday, August 25th, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington in New York. It's TG Tuesday. I'm joined shortly by Tony Greer, editor of The Morning Navigator. But first, with today's stories, Nick Correa. Thanks, Ash. The technology sector is continuing its takeover of the broader market with the recent announcement of Exxon, Raytheon, and Pfizer being removed from the Dow Jones Industrial Average Index. ExxonMobil and Raytheon Technologies are two of the oldest members of the Dow Jones. Exxon was added in 1928, and Raytheon was added by way of a merger this year with United Technologies, which was a part of the index since the 30s, when it was originally known as United Aircraft. Pfizer, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world, is also being removed from the index. Taking their place is Salesforce, Amgen, and Honeywell. Honeywell had previously been a part of the index from 1925 through 2008, returning after a hiatus of more than a decade. However, with the addition of Salesforce and Amgen, it demonstrates the seemingly unassailable force of the tech sector. While Salesforce is the cloud-based sales automation software we all know and love, Amgen is one of the world's largest biotech companies. The move to add Amgen and remove Pfizer goes to show how the biotech sector seems to be outshining traditional pharmaceutical companies. These two companies may help buoy the index when the changes go live on August 31st, considering how the Dow Jones is a share price weighted index and that Apple's 4 for 1 stock split goes into effect the same day. Because the market environment for tech stocks has been so favorable for the past few months, many tech companies are rushing to file their IPOs to tap into those capital flows. Most recently, three Silicon Valley startups, Snowflake, Unity, and Asana, have announced that they will be going public. All these companies are experiencing net losses, but are accelerating plans to list to try and leverage this frenetic rally. However, Jack Ma's company, Ant Group, is taking the cake, as the company had also filed for their IPO, aiming to raise a record $30 billion for a valuation of $200 to $300 billion. Selling at least 10% of its shares, Ant Group will have a dual listing in Hong Kong and Shanghai. Should Ant raise $30 billion in their IPO, they will have topped Saudi Aramco's eye-popping $29 billion IPO last year. With their broad move into financial services in general, Ant intends to invest 40% of their IPO funds into R&D, 30% into expanding its user base and product offerings, and 10% into building its international business. All these events point to how tech has blossomed this year and are driving market momentum. The question is, what could potentially disrupt their stride? And with that, I'll hand it back over to Ash. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Thanks, Nick. Welcome back, Tony. Great to be here, Ash. All-time closing high. Did we hit that today on the S&P? I mean, you know, Apple's $500 bid, the Fed's adding to the balance sheet. I mean, it sounds like we're in for more of the same of this for the near future, I would imagine. Yeah? Yeah, it does look that way. So what are you looking at this afternoon? Oh, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of crossfire going on in the energy sector, right? 
starting off with you know something like ExxonMobil coming out of the Dow Jones today alongside Pfizer and Raytheon, where they are being replaced by Salesforce, Honeywell, and Amgen. But what's interesting is you've got Exxon being sold because it's coming out and playing along with that theme that we've seen of weak energy stocks, while Fang, big tech, and everything in the subsectors continues to grind higher and print a new high in technology. So today we saw new highs in semiconductors, software. Um, I believe internet stocks also made new highs, but these are still the names that continue to rotate up and to the right, making new highs while energy continues to sag for a number of different reasons. And today the energy sag was interesting given the breakout we saw in gasoline earlier in the week. What is it that you're watching most closely when you look at tech? Are you looking at the Qs? Are you looking at uh, XLK? Is there something that you specifically watch as a general index of what's happening in big cap tech stocks? Yeah, I guess you could say I'm trying to break big tech down by the FANG members first. Um, as they are, you know, five of the biggest stocks in the major indices. But then I'm also following, like I said, the subsectors action as part of my, I guess, science of following each of these subsectors and seeing how they perform every single month. I've gotten to, you know, follow and gotten close to following the software sector, which is IGV, and the internet sector, which is FDN, and cloud storage is a big one, Sky, S-K-Y-Y. Um, I've invested and talked about um, cybersecurity in my note as being one of my favorite sec subsectors of tech. The ticker is hack. And if you follow along in these sectors and follow them individually, it gives you a lot of confidence that the tech rally can continue. And I understand that we're overvalued and I understand that we're overpriced in terms of valuation. Um, but you have to also understand the Fed mechanism part of this because it's really relevant to price action. So before we get to the Fed action, how are these two, how are these different and how are they similar? Were they very highly correlated? What's when you look at them, what, what do you get by looking at them individually that you wouldn't get by looking at them as a whole? Um, the individual sectors in tech? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you're breaking it, you know, you're breaking it down from just calling tech as the triple Qs to, you know, the different subsectors within technology that we're, you know, trying to track and see if it holds the whole boat together. But all of the subsectors of technology are rallying, like I've mentioned. So between semiconductors, internet, social media, um, they seem to all be passing the baton, like I like to call it, and making new highs every day. Yeah. Or close to it. Yeah. So let's jump back to the Fed. What's your thought there? Federal Reserve, um, you know, we we haven't gotten much out of Jerome Powell other than last week, which sparked a little bit of a sell off when it seems like uh, the Fed minutes indicated that there was not a big fan base for yield curve control at the Federal Reserve. And so bonds have been, you know, exceptionally volatile and they've that day, I'm not sure exactly which way they went, but I'm focused on what the bond market is telling me this week um, so far. And that is, to me, still a direct reaction to the commodity breakout that we're seeing. Um, you know, in terms of, like I mentioned, a baton pass, Ash, and the commodity market has been one of the perfect baton passes to watch coming off of the lows as we restart the economy after the lockdown. You know, first precious metals got up and ran. Then we had iron ore sky to new highs, then copper caught up, then the rest of the base metals complex caught up. Last week, we had natural gas break up above its 200-day moving average. Yesterday, we had gasoline make that same break above its 200-day moving average and follow through today. So you know now we're seeing different sectors of the commodity markets 
take their turn and rally big in large magnitude, indicating that they may be heading north. Today, um, soybeans and wheat honestly joined the chorus and had two sigma rallies of their own. So I'm trying to keep this within the framework of my um, idea that we are going to see some more headline inflation. We just had PPI and CPI beat last week. Uh, we don't have those numbers again until September 10th and 11th, but I'm studying the bond market really, really closely and how it behaves between now and then since we're starting to see the beginning of an energy breakout. I'm obviously looking for commodities to keep going higher and bonds potentially to sell off here as a reflection of higher commodity prices and more inflation. Yeah. You know, uh, Jerome Powell, skeptical on uh, yield cold curve controls, but seems to be maintaining an incredibly accommodative posture going forward. So what are you thinking about when you look at the bond market specifically? You know, the signals I get this week are if I dial into 10 year yields, for example, 10 year yields have broke out to 75 basis points, pulled back to moving average support and have rallied again. So with yields going higher this week, we're also seeing the curve steepening a little bit. We're seeing twos, tens steepen. We're seeing um, five-year, 30-year steepen a little bit this week. And as they tick higher, I think that they're pricing in more activity and more inflation. So, you know, this theme, the markets are starting to telegraph the onset of inflation. What was interesting to me was that the bond market um, – was really discounting this energy rally in that the energy rally is being driven by these two hurricanes that are you know zeroing in on the gulf as we speak and the bond market's really reacting to the commodity rally like they're sustainable rallies so i'm trying to pay close attention to that fact in the market that's a really important dynamic to be following right now yeah jumping back to the s p do you worry about the narrowness of this rally I do and I don't. You know, it's going to be a wealth bifurcation rally in the stock market, just like we're seeing in society, right? The, the NASDAQ is up 30% on the year. The Russell 2000 small cap stock index is down 5% or something like that. Uh, I think that that can probably continue in the year 2020, where, you know, a lot of completely batshit crazy things are happening in the market. So, you know, to see tech continue to go higher with a fundamental reason behind it. Um, and given that the Fed's constant support looks like it's going to fuel the hell out of this rally in stocks, um, you know, I, I, it doesn't make me any more bearish just because, you know, tech stocks are leading the way. There are a few other sectors that are, have started to rally right in their heels. Industrials started rallying. Home builders I've been on all year and they're still rallying sharply. They've been rallying for eight consecutive weeks. It looks like nine. So, you know, when you leave, take out energy, there are some sectors of the manufacturing economy that are slowly rallying. They're just not participating with the big tech bonanza that's going on right now. And I don't really think that that's going to end anytime soon. Yeah. Speaking of totally crazy, Tesla 2K. I mean, what, what can you say? Look, market cap higher than Walmart, price to earnings ratio on a trailing 12-month basis over 1,000. You know, when you take the lens of the Fed liquidity causing distortions in the market and you overlay the lens of the fact that they're going to be continuously accommodative um, and Tesla is exactly, you know, the type of stock where the insane capital flows and that it's going to be included in the S&P, yeah. you know, you come up with a really, really bizarre type of scenario like we're seeing in Tesla now. You know, it's like a perfect storm of utter madness going on right before our eyes. 
Yeah, you know, even people who are long-term bullish on the company, you have to think that there's a point where you start to say, I can believe that Elon Musk is the great genius of his generation. He's going to be the person who's going to innovate transportation. And yet these prices are just delusional. You know, they sure are. And luckily, that is not a game that I have chosen to play or an arena that I've chosen to do battle. I'm keeping my money as far away from the auto company known as Tesla as I possibly can. <laughs> yeah. Wisdom is also knowing what to stay away from, isn't it? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Stay out of the cat fight. Yeah. Uh, gold down below 2000 today. 1928 on the close. Yeah. Gold's interesting, Ash. You know, everybody... Let's call gold is the Fed balance sheet insurance play, right? It's the central bank of fade. So it's going to continue to see investment, I think. The, the investment has continued to come as long as we've seen more and more monetization from central banks. And given the fact that that is going to continue, the gold bull case is probably intact. What I'm concerned about quite honestly, about gold, is that as yields seem to be picking up, gold has backed sharply off of its highs. Now, if you keep in mind the fact that this beautiful gold rally that we've seen from 1500 up to 2000 has taken place against the backdrop of falling rates, if my thesis that I'm currently working off of and that rates can go higher in response to inflation I'm concerned that higher yields might be a negative in the short term on the gold market and cause a little bit of this, you know, excessively long party that's all making money right now to have a little bit of a liquidation event because the path in gold is not going to be linear because as you can see it's widely it's it's sort of slow moving speculative money and you can call it speculative because there's really no shortage in gold, physical gold, or in supply demand story. This is people buying gold to hedge fiat currency. And it's totally rational, but the path higher will not be linear. Yeah. Uh, talking of which, you mentioned your broader thesis. What is the big picture broader thesis that you're operating from now? You talked a little bit about some of the moving parts, some of the components. What's the big picture play over at TG Macro? You know, I'm trying to think of it as, you know, the biggest economy in on the planet just threw another three trillion dollars on its balance sheet, taking it from four to seven. You know, we've gone through three stages of QE before. None of them have been sort of this immediate and this um, direct in terms of just adding three trillion to the balance sheet in one fell swoop. So I think that that's causing some of the distortions that we see. I think that it's going to continue to cause commodity inflation. You know, we may never see headline inflation really get going, but you and I know that costs that we have incurred in our lives, such as healthcare, education, and now since the pandemic, a lot of food costs, yeah. costs, costs that are coming out of our pocket are going higher, right? So these are the battles that the middle class is going to continue to have to really, really struggle with. And, you know, I fear that it continues to drive the wealth gap even wider. Yeah. So- with the fear that inflation could potentially spike rates a little bit higher here, I'm trying to keep myself in the right sectors and I'm trying to trade around the metals play in a way that's sensible, whereas I'm kind of a seller on gold rallies now that I feel like yields are going higher, things like that. But I think the equity market rally is quite intact and I, and I honestly wish that there would be a dip now, um, but I don't see a catalyst for a dip between now and the election. I really don't. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, you know, on a long-term play, such an important point you make about some inflation not showing up in the CPI indicator. Look, healthcare uh, inflation has been just brutal. It's something that we've all felt in our lives. Uh, and if you have children, the rate of increase in education is just bewildering to me. Uh, and then not showing up at CPI. And also the final point on more of a, a shorter-term time horizon, some of the changes in the distribution, uh, consumption, and production uh, patterns of different things. I, I can't buy paper towels at any price right now on the Upper East Side. None to be had. Yeah. Yeah. These are the you know supply chain shortages and kinks that we're going to have to work out on our way out of the coronavirus. And I'm, I'm afraid that not only have they, are they taking place on a local level, Ash, but they're going to take place on a global level as well as sort of yeah. trade patterns get rearranged and the next set of tariffs from the president. So there's a lot to think about on the global landscape. Yeah, a lot of moving parts. Tough to keep up with this year, but we're gonna try our best, man. Tony, last week we talked about DXY, the dollar index. Bring us up to date on where you are with that. Yeah, the weakness in the dollar last week was a big part of the commodity bull case. And this week the dollar stopped going down. So that's at least one dynamic of the trade to keep an eye on. But what we are seeing anyway is a lot of action in a couple of the yen crosses. Today, for example, this morning, we saw huge rallies in euro yen and Aussie yen. Um, and those are two trades that very much make me feel like I've got tailwinds on the commodity trade, right? If the Aussie dollar is rallying, the euro is rallying, that's what you want to see. The Aussie dollar is literally um, shocking the world right now, Ash, right before going into the pandemic, they had all kinds of, they had a potential credit problem. They had wildfires burning and everybody was so bearish. The currency coming out of the pandemic, you know, they are the, the Aussie dollar has just continued to rally off the lows due to the strength in metals, which is being driven by the Federal Reserve. So, you know, a lot of, you know, the Federal Reserve quantitative easing. So there's a lot of moving parts all around the world here. And it's interesting that the Fed easing, which is weakening the dollar, is strengthening the metals, which is strengthening the Aussie against the dollar and the yen. So that's an interesting development to me. That is right now the Aussie yen is sort of a freight train going higher and putting a lot of wind in the commodity sales. So that that's one um, avenue outside the dollar to look. And also the euro rally really hasn't cooled off. And so if we're looking at euro yen or euro dollar, the breakouts are still intact. So you have to stay bullish to commodities. This is just a pause, I think, in the FX markets. Yeah. So uh, let's look ahead for the coming week. What are you looking at in terms of U.S. equity markets? Where do you think we're going? You say U.S. equities and I say Apple's 500 bid, you know, um, the stock market cap to GDP is now trading at 180 percent of our GDP. As um, Sven Henrik Northman Trader points out on Twitter every morning. And when I see that, that's just sort of a reminder to me that there are no boundaries right now. Uh, we just broke through to all time highs in the S&P. We're just breaking out of critical levels in commodities. You know, like I said last week, portfolio managers are leaving tire marks all over the tape. And whether they're buying commodities this week or buying tech or buying their specific sectors of tech, I think that it sets up for a rally into the end of the week and potentially right into Election Day and possibly beyond. You know, I really think that things are the mechanism that the stock market is rallying on now is very well intact with a huge black swan in the rearview mirror. Hey, look, at least something's higher than debt to GDP. Right. 
we found something, Ash, right? And we can be optimistic about something. The S&P is going to the sky, the NASDAQ's following, or the NASDAQ leading, we should say, and uh, where she stops, nobody knows. Man, you're a guy who can find a silver lining, Tony. What else can we do? <laughs> Final thoughts coming up. Oh, man. This week, man, it's it, it stay focused on these commodities, right? Uh, there's different commodities jumping out of the gym every day. Um, they're coming from the depths of a plunging sell-off that was due to the unprecedented lockdown. So personally, all I can tell you is that I am not letting any bearish commodity thoughts enter my head, right? So I'm looking for the trades that I can express that. I'm looking for the ETFs and equities that I can express simple inflationary type ideas. Those are the things I wake up and write about and think about every morning. So that that I think staying on that path for the next four and a half months into the end of the year now, I think you got a big payday coming if you can get those trades on right. You, know, you talked about what you've been looking at uh, on the commodity side. What are you going to be looking at going forward to either confirm or disconfirm this thesis? You know, it's I'm a price action guy. You know, I'm I'm a um, typical fintwit price bro, as they say, right? Last sale rules, fundamentals don't really matter as much to me because we're here to make money and we have to trade off of last sales. If we could trade off fundamentals, we would go back to school and study textbooks and do things like that. Um, but honestly, I'm looking for a price to continue to confirm. You know, there's no secret sauce behind what's going on right now. Yeah. There is massive global central bank monetization going on. There are portfolio managers rushing for exposure to this inflationary scenario in the markets. And it feels like we may have just started a new leg with energy potentially breaking out now. And they can throw the energy stocks out like the baby with the bathwater. But if crude oil decides to reprice up to 60 because there's any kind of disruption or shortage, good luck stopping it. Yeah. Are you watching Brent or WTI on that front? I'm watching WTI most closely, especially now that where they got the Gulf threatened with these two hurricanes. You know, Brent crude will likely follow WTI now that it's getting wagged around by the hurricanes. Yeah. Well said. Tony Greer, thanks for joining us. Always thanks. Great to be here, Ash. Thank you so much for having me. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.